Today's ATS SRN Podcast Journal Club will be discussing an article published in JAMA of this year entitled Association of Positive Airway Pressure with Cardiovascular Events and Death in Adults with Sleep Apnea, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. We will be joined today by one of the authors, Dr. Doug McAvoy, who's Head of Sleep Health Service and Director of the Adelaide Institute for Sleep Health at Flinders University in Australia. We are also accompanied today by Dr. Dan Gottlieb, who wrote the editorial for this meta-analysis entitled, Does Obstructive Sleep Apnea Treatment Reduce Cardiovascular Risk? It is far too soon to say. Dr. Daniel Gottlieb is Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. He's also the Director of Sleep Disorders Center at VA Boston Medical Center. And he's part of a program in sleep and cardiovascular medicine from the Departments of Medicine and Neurology at Brigham and Women's Hospital. I would like to welcome both Dr. McAvoy and Dr. Gottlieb to today's podcast, and I want to thank them for their participation. Thank you. Um, This uh, study was an attempt to uh, look at the pooled association between um, uh, positive airway pressure treatment versus standard care or sham positive airway pressure treatment in adults with obstructive sleep apnea or central sleep apnea. And the background to it briefly was that, um, as people will know, there's been much evidence accumulating over two decades or more of um, both experimental studies suggesting that um, uh, repetitive intermittent hypoxia and sleep disturbance uh, is associated with adverse cardiovascular outcomes and short-term randomized controlled trials showing um, benefit uh, in a number of intermediate cardiovascular risk markers and more lately um, a number of larger randomized controlled trials uh, attempting to address the issue of whether or not um, positive airway pressure treatment of sleep-disordered breathing would uh, result in improved uh, hard cardiovascular outcomes such as cardiovascular death, stroke, and acute coronary syndromes. So the um, literature search was uh, wide and it identified several thousand papers um, that were initially reviewed um, for their title and, um, and abstracts. And then this left um, 103 um, studies that met, uh, that appeared to meet the criteria um, for further uh, full full paper analysis. Um, Following which we identified 10 um, studies that met the criteria for um, this meta-analysis. And broadly that was that the uh, studies need to uh, had an intervention, a positive airway pressure intervention that lasted at least 12 weeks, and it needed to be 100 patient years of follow-up per randomised group. Um, we looked at uh, two major outcomes, uh, sort of one called MACE, which is a, a major adverse cardiovascular event, which is a composite of cardiovascular death non-fatal acute coronary syndrome and stroke and the other outcome uh, which was uh, the MACE outcome plus hospitalization for unstable angina. We also uh, 
investigated the effects of positive airway pressure through this meta-analysis uh, on specific, uh, cause-specific outcomes, including acute coronary syndrome, stroke, hospitalisation for angina, and hospitalisation for heart failure. Um, All-cause death, uh, cardiovascular death, and non-cardiovascular death were also investigated. Um, now, the studies identified, that is the 10 studies we've identified for this meta-analysis, a number of them also measured intermediate outcomes of cardiovascular risk, such as blood pressure, um, body mass index, um, blood lipids, fasting, glucose, etc., and a number of quality of life, uh, sleepiness indices, and so forth. So we also um, conducted a meta-analysis where the data was available on these intermediate outcomes. Um, the fundamental finding was that um, we could not identify um, a benefit of a positive airway pressure intervention in the pooled data of over 7,000 patients in these trials um, for either the uh, major adverse cardiovascular event um, outcome or the major adverse cardiovascular outcome uh, plus hospitalisation for angina nor for the cause-specific outcomes. Um, there were uh, some benefits identified for uh, intermediate outcomes, uh, particularly sleepiness and some quality of life and mood outcomes. Um, and uh, we also conducted uh, a number of secondary or sensitivity analyses uh, to look at the uh, effects, or if we could find them, for length of follow-up um, CPAP adherence and OSA severity in the populations that were studied in these various trials. And that we used a random effects um, meta-regression technique as the primary method to identify whether any of these variables would affect uh, the results. And we could not actually demonstrate by that mechanism that there was an effect of either length of follow-up, level of CPAP adherence, or the level of CPAP severity in these various trials. Um, we did, however, uh, in a post hoc um, analysis, compared, we compared those trials, four trials that reported um, average CPAP adherence that exceeded four hours versus other uh, trials. I should say not CPAP necessarily, but positive airway pressure adherence greater than four hours versus those that were less than four hours. And there was a marginal benefit uh, identified for both the major adverse cardiovascular event outcome and the major adverse cardiovascular in, in, outcome plus uh, hospitalisation for angina um, in those that used, that reported um, positive airway pressure adherence greater than five hours. So overall, um, we think in the totality, um, this meta-analysis on about 7,500 patients with sleep-disordered breathing who were subjected in randomised trials to positive airway pressure treatment we could not identify um, a benefit um, uh, for positive airway pressure treatment. Uh, with the, I guess, uh, rider that there is a suggestion that um, from these data um, that people using CPAP more than four hours a night may have a benefit in terms of cardiovascular outcomes. Thank you, Dr. McAvoy, for that excellent summary of this important paper.
I would like to invite Dr. Gottlieb to comment on um, the brief summary of the paper that was just provided and see if he has any um, immediate thoughts uh, or comments uh, that he would like to make. Thank you, Naomi, and thank you, Doug, for a very timely and well-executed meta-analysis. To my mind, the most important finding of the meta-analysis is the paucity of clinical trial data in this area. For major adverse cardiovascular events, for example, the total number of patients was fewer than 5,000, with fewer than 400 total MACE events. These numbers are smaller than most single outcome studies in the cardiovascular literature, so it's not surprising to me that no significant reduction in MACE events was observed with PAP therapy. This is especially true considering that almost all the enrolled patients were on medications known to be effective for secondary prevention of cardiovascular events. But I'm actually heartened by the results of the meta-analysis, despite the lack of a statistically significant effect of CPAP on cardiovascular risk. This is because the point estimate for the effect was a 23% reduction in risk of MACE events, almost identical to the risk reduction achieved with aspirin, statins, and beta blockers. So while we do need to keep an open mind to the possibility of no benefit from CPAP, the meta-analysis suggests that a very substantial benefit of CPAP therapy is likely. Rather than discouraging further studies, this finding should spur additional clinical trials to allow a more precise estimate of this effect. Thank you, Dr. Gottlieb. You bring up important points um, that uh, were clearly emphasized in the editorial, um, and uh, I'm glad that you were able to highlight them for our listeners. Um, one of the, going back to the points that you just made, you know, it's it's important to obviously not take this as the last, um, you know, trial that is going to assess PAP um, and its response and its effect on cardiovascular events and deaths in patients with sleep apnea. But clearly, we've had at least 10 clinical trials that were included in this meta-analysis that failed to show um, a significant uh, benefit. So in your opinion, uh, Dr. Gottlieb, what do you think um, is necessary for the next clinical trial um, to show uh, what we are expecting to see based on observational data? I think perhaps the most important thing that we need uh, going forward is a better ability to risk stratify patients with obstructive sleep apnea in terms of their cardiovascular risk. Uh, this will from the research standpoint allow us to uh, to design more efficient studies uh, because we'll be targeting patients uh, in whom there's a greater likelihood of seeing a benefit of treatment. Uh, risk stratification would also be useful from a clinical standpoint because it will allow targeting of scarce resources to improve CPAP adherence to the patients who are at greatest risk. So I think that's one thing that will be uh, quite uh, important as we go forward. Uh, and these uh, factors that might um, that might identify risk. Um, it could be things that we identify from the uh, from the sleep study. Uh, it appears that more severe sleep apnea based on the apnea hypopnea index confers greater cardiovascular risk, but I think we can do much better than that. Uh, there may be other measures available from the sleep study per se, for example, heart rate response to, uh, 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 to respiratory events. It may be other physiologic measures, such as those that we could get from 24-hour blood pressure monitoring. Uh, it may be genetic or genomic markers of risk. Uh, and these are all areas that I think uh, need study and can inform future uh, clinical trials. Thanks, uh, Dr. Gottlieb. So do you suggest that potentially the next clinical trial looking at uh, CPAP 
and its effect on cardiovascular disease um, events, uh, perhaps look at surrogate measures of important clinical outcomes, or should we still be looking at um, hard uh, vascular events, uh, such as the ones that have been investigated um, and reported in, in this meta-analysis? Thank you. Um, I agree with uh, much of what uh, Dan has said uh, in relation to future trials. Um, and perhaps just uh, to um, back up a little bit on the comments in relation to what this particular meta-analysis uh, might uh, tell us or not tell us, I, I agree that um, the point estimate of about a 23% relative risk reduction uh, is modest but nevertheless potentially very clinically important. It is important to remember though that the confidence intervals uh, uh, span one um, quite clearly in this. So it is it is a suggestion perhaps that there may be a benefit but um, we do not have the evidence at the moment. So we've got to go after more evidence if we uh, believe, as I do, um, that there's likely to be a biological connection between uh, sleep apnea and its accompaniments um, and um, cardiovascular disease. So I'd agree with um, Dan that um, risk stratification is, is the way to go um, and uh, I think there have been some uh, hints at that and we're trying to gather more information from the SAVE study as to whether there were phenotypes or subgroups within the study that were particularly at high risk because of cardio, because of the sleep apnea and in whom there would appear to be a greater benefit from CPAP. So we're pursuing that at the moment and I think that's something that's worth doing. Um, but just off the cuff, I think um, we already know that there are some groups uh, with sleep apnea that appear to get a greater benefit. For example, patients with resistant hypertension seem to have quite a, a larger drop in blood pressure as a result of CPAP. Um, and uh, the Ferran Barbe group in uh, Spain is, uh, looking, has looked at some uh, circulating biomarkers that would predict that response, which is, I think, very interesting and potentially an avenue for further investigation and stratifying patients into who might benefit or the field might benefit from those going into trial. I think the evidence, both epidemiologic and also from the trials, is pointing to a stronger risk and potential benefit uh, in stroke, um, benefit that is from positive airway pressure, so I think that would be a worthwhile uh, group to study in more detail. And I'm of the view that um, the composite endpoints that we're pursuing, unless we can uh, scale up these studies to 20 or 30,000 people, we're unlikely to probably find a benefit um, from those studies. So therefore, it makes all the sense in the world to uh, try and find the high-risk specific groups that are at high risk as a result of the sleep apnea. Thank you, Dr. McAvoy, for those uh, comments. Um, one potential um, question that uh, comes up based on a sentence in the manuscript, um, you know, that's, that says, quote, there have been several reasons postulated for the failure of PAP trials to demonstrate protection against vascular outcomes, unquote. Um, do you think um, Dr. Gottlieb uh, or Dr. Um, McAvoy, and perhaps both of you can comment on whether 
um, observational studies uh, may have overestimated the risk that's associated um, uh, from untreated OSA, um, perhaps due to residual confounding by visceral obesity or physical activity, uh, diet, uh, and the like? Um, Naomi, I think that is a definite possibility. Um, I think in medicine generally, um, cohort studies and estimates of risk from uh, those sorts of studies have tended to overestimate um, the importance and risk associated with various um, diseases in, and their outcomes. And when subjected to randomised controlled trials, the uh, benefit of uh, eliminating or ameliorating the disease uh, is less than expected from the cohort um, study data. So I think that would be certainly something that is likely in our field. And in fact, in the SAVE study, we did design the study rather ambitiously for a 25% relative risk reduction uh, based on the meta-regression of the cohort studies we had available to us at the time. Um, <clears throat> and so as Dan Gottlieb has said, I think um, you know, if the relative risk reduction is, is less than this, then of course studies of that size are not going to be able to demonstrate a, a benefit. So um, I Firstly, think that um, visceral obesity is a potential, one of the potential confounders that has not been adequately adjusted for in uh, cohort studies. And of particular interest to me is that um, the evidence from um, the Schwab group um, with MRI studies showing that ectopic fat in the tongue, um, which does seem to track with ectopic fat or visceral fat um, quite well, seems to be um, a major driver of sleep apnea severity. And of course, if in these studies we've not adequately controlled the visceral fat or ectopic fat, um, we may uh, be overestimating the risk by virtue of the ectopic fat driving the disease through narrowing the airway, but also the cardiovascular risk because of visceral fat or epicardial fat, which has um, a potent effect on cardiovascular outcomes. I would uh, entirely second what uh, Doug McAvoy just said. I, I think it's quite likely that there's residual confounding in the observational data, for, uh, in particular from uh, adiposity. Um, the, the, we, we generally, in these uh, uh, large cohort studies, adjust for adiposity using the body mass index. Uh, and. Uh, Differences in body mass index explain less than half of the variation in visceral adiposity. Beyond that, uh, it may well be that, uh, that uh, physical activity, which uh, is associated with, uh, uh, with sleep apnea, that is, the more physically active you are, the less likely you are to have sleep apnea for any uh, given uh, uh, body mass index, uh, may also... Um, uh, uh, confound these associations. And yet, uh, studies looking at uh, intermittent hypoxia or intermittent arousal in animal models or in short-term human uh, studies demonstrate fairly robust uh, increases in sympathetic nervous system activity, uh, blood pressure, and uh, in uh, impaired metabolic function. So I think there's very good reason to believe that uh, that while the observational studies may overestimate uh, the degree of risk, that uh, uh, it's still likely 
that there is significant risk from sleep apnea. Thank you, um, Dr. McAvoy and Dr. Gottlieb. Another question that is, uh, I think, important to address, um, especially for this meta-analysis, is um, combining uh, OSA and central sleep apnea clinical trials. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, the authors um, have stated in their manuscript, and I quote, point estimates of the association of PAP with vascular death and all-cause death were suggestive of harm rather than benefit, unquote. But on the other hand, Dr. Gottlieb, uh, you've argued in the editorial, and I quote you, the, the separate meta-analysis of mortality is of uncertain validity as it includes studies of central sleep apnea and heart failure, a condition with considerably different pathophysiology from OSA, unquote. So um, a question for Dr. McAvoy then is um, if you can comment on the decision to combine um, OSA, obstructive sleep apnea, that is, in central sleep apnea clinical trials in the meta-analysis and the implications of this decision and how to interpret the findings given that these two are combined yet very separate um, entities pathophysio pathophysiologically uh, as suggested by Dr. Gottlieb in the editorial. Thank you. Um, yes. Um... I think you can either focus on the differences or the similarities between these two conditions. I think um, they both have intermittent hypoxia, and as uh, Dr. Gottlieb has said, um, there's quite a evidence both from animal experimental data and short-term human studies that that is a, a driver of uh, altered vascular biology. So I think intermittent hypoxia is common to these two conditions. Sleep disturbance is common to these two conditions. I guess the major difference that is the obstruction of the upper airway and the effect of large intrathoracic negative pressure swings on, on major vessels and the heart, and that's certainly um, an obvious difference between the two. But we thought from a pragmatic point of view uh, in this study it was reasonable to combine these two disorders because they share many uh, similarities in terms of their physiologic effects. Um, and of course, from a pragmatic point of view, it enabled the pool size to, to get up to something that would give us more confidence to make some statements about whether positive airway pressure intervention and the amelioration of these uh, physiologic disturbances with positive airway pressure would have a benefit in terms of cardiovascular outcomes. So um, I recognize there is a risk that we uh, may be um, reaching um, a false conclusion, um, but I think it's fairly low in terms of the totality of the, uh, of the, uh, of the data. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. McAvoy. And so I think in conclusion, um, you know, we, we all agree that adherence is a major point of discussion anytime PAP therapy and cardiovascular outcomes are being investigated. The mean or median adherence to PAP uh, in the study ranged between 1.4 hours per day to 6.6 .6 hours per day. And the article uses random effects meta-regression analyses, as Dr. McAvoy has explained, to investigate the associations of length of follow-up, adherence to randomized treatment, and apnea hypopnea index with the observed risk ratio for each trial. The meta-regression analysis identified no association between the length of follow-up, adherence to PAP, baseline AHI, and the relative risks of events reported for the individual trials. So a question for Dr. Gottlieb uh, wrapping this podcast up and addressing, I guess, the most important point of adherence. 
how does the meta-regression analysis affect your comments on adherence as a potential limitation of currently available randomized controlled trials that are evaluating the effect of PAP therapy on cardiovascular outcomes, including death in patients with sleep apnea? Well, I think the meta-regression uh, is actually supportive of the notion that uh, that high levels of adherence are important to see a beneficial effect. Uh, you know, there may not have been a, a significant uh, uh, association, but with only seven studies in the meta-regression, the power is not great to, to see an effect. And yet, uh, the, uh, the trend is clearly in favor of a lower uh, relative risk, that is, improvement uh, with CPAP um, in those studies with, uh, with a higher level of adherence. And, uh, and that's seen in the, uh, you know, when, in the, uh, when the studies are dichotomized, as they were in, in Figure 5 of the manuscript, uh, so that uh, uh, in those studies with adherence of greater than four hours per night, uh, the uh, relative risk was, uh, was much lower. Uh, for major adverse cardiovascular events, um, as well as for cardiovascular death, um, than in studies in which adherence was lower. So I think it points to the importance of uh, of adherence. Um, now, uh, we have to acknowledge that achieving good CPAP adherence in patients who are minimally symptomatic or asymptomatic, uh, as many patients are, is challenging. Uh, it's not impossible. Some studies uh, uh, have been able to achieve that, but I think it's it may be uh, it will remain a challenge, particularly in larger studies. Uh, so uh, certainly, having a an effective treatment for sleep apnea that is uh, better tolerated than CPAP in the minimally symptomatic patient would be a, a major advance. Um, uh, it's something that uh, uh, we uh, we don't have right now, so uh, uh, so we'll uh, have to, as we do these studies, uh, work very hard to uh, to ensure uh, the best adherence possible to the therapies that we have. Naomi, I'm very happy with um, with uh, the discussion, and uh, I agree with Dan's closing remarks. I think. Um, Adherence is the big issue for our field, and um, whether we can get there with positive airway pressure treatments um, is, I think, a little doubtful. And we may be looking to uh, future treatments uh, that don't rely on wearing a mask uh, at night. I want to thank Dr. McAvoy and Dr. Gottlieb for an exciting discussion today on an article that was published in JAMA which is a meta-analysis of 10 clinical trials evaluating the effect of PAP therapy on cardiovascular events and death in patients with obstructive and central sleep apnea. We hope that our listeners have found this podcast to be useful, and we would appreciate feedback to the ATS SRN Journal Club Committee for any future recommendations to improve our podcasts. Thank you very much.